Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. In 2003, Nike signed 13-year-old Freddie Adu to a seven-figure contract. But Freddie didn't live up to the hype. He has turned down every single documentary project looking closely at the details of his career. Until now. People are going to look at everything you did because of the hype surrounding your arrival and what they think you can be. I'm Grant Wall, and this is American Prodigy, Freddie Adu, from Blue Wire Podcasts. To the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my buddy Shang Peng. Shang, what's going on, man? Hey, not much, man. Just uh, hanging in there. Hanging in there, indeed. I'm. Uh, we're gonna deep dive the Sharks today. We're gonna. Technically, it's part of uh, the Rebuildables series that I've been doing this off season on the PDO cast, where we're looking at teams that uh, failed to qualify for the playoff bubble, which seems like ages ago now already. But um, the Sharks technically qualify for that because they were one of the seven teams that didn't make it, but it really feels like they, uh, they're deserving of their own uh, separate series because it feels weird to lump them in with teams like the Senators and the Red Wings and the Sabres, which we're doing on the show, but they're one of those seven, so they qualify, and we're going to talk about uh, kind of all the issues of how they got here, what went wrong, what they've been doing, and uh, options moving forward to help fix things. So uh, let's, uh, let's get right into it. Um, where do you want to start this conversation in terms of like where things went wrong, how they got here, how far do you want to take the timeline back? Um, because obviously it does feel like, you know, with a team like the Red Wings, for example, um, that I did a show with, with Prashanth, um, we were talking about how you could stretch it back like a decade and how it's all been culminating towards this massive rebuild that they're doing with the Sharks team. It feels like you can only really take it back one year because they were two games away from making the Stanley Cup final in, in the 2019 postseason. Sure, sure. But firstly, yeah, I got to say that uh, there is a place, you know, that special place that you say the Sharks are uh, between uh, where the Red Wings and Senators are and between a playoff team. That's called purgatory. <laughs> and that might be the worst place to be in. <laughs> but 
anyway, if we're going to talk about where we bring it back to, actually, though, I would go back a little further. Yes, indeed, they were close to making it to the final in 2019. But if we want to go back to 2014 and 15, and that's the first time that a Doug Wilson team, a Doug Wilson managed team, had missed the playoffs. And that team, a lot of people thought, uh, if you we look back on it, a lot of people thought that that team was, okay, well, Joe Thornton was in his uh, mid-30s at that point. Uh, Joe Pavelski was in his 30s. Uh, Marlowe was uh, same age as Thornton. And so people thought that that team uh, that team is, is done, right? The Sharks window was done. That's what everybody was saying in 2014-15. And during that offseason... Uh, Wilson made a number of key signings. Uh, he signed uh, Joe Ward. He traded for Martin Jones. Signed Paul Martin. Nothing that you know. Nothing too long term there. The longest deal there was Paul Martin at four years. But those are the kind of deals that, if they hadn't worked out, the Sharks could have got away from. And if they, if yeah, if they if they, if they did work out, which it, it did work out because the Sharks made it to the final that year, 2016. They surprised everybody. But I think what happened, though, with that, though, is that after that, the, the, you know, the, the, the Sharks had that kind of taste of success. Mm. And before that point, the Sharks had been really steadfast in terms of not giving long-term contracts. And so we kind of know where this is, this is going now with the Sharks. Uh, before that, uh, I believe the longest contract that Doug Wilson had given out before, the, uh, before they, the, the cup run in 2016 was... They gave a six-year contract to Milan Mihalik in <laughs> in early 2000s, but Mihalik was a 22-year-old player at that time, so that kind of made sense, though. But before, you know, otherwise, though, guys like Thornton, guys like uh, Marlowe, guys like Pavelski had all signed three, four-year contracts, good contracts, but nothing that would break the back if some of if, if if any of them had a sudden decline. After the 2016 Cup uh, Cup run, though. Uh, they signed uh, Brent Burns, who was about to become a UFA and had a terrific 2015-16, you know, changed his narrative because before that, before 2015-16, there was still talk, well, he's better as a forward. What's right. he doing on defense? But 2015-16, he solidifies himself as a defenseman. He's a Norris finalist under Peter DeBoer for the first time. He's about to hit UFA uh, November 2016. And so they signed him to an eight-year contract, a max contract. And I think, you know, everyone starts looking at that. Well, this is an organization that had been steadfast in not handing out such contracts, especially to an older player. Burns was in his 30s at that point, and contract's going to end. Contract is scheduled to end when Brent is 40. But guys like Vlasic came up right after that, and Vlasic was signed to an eight-year contract. Uh, of course, they traded for Eric Carlson. They gave him eight years. And then it doesn't just extend to defensemen, too. They traded for Evander Kane. Uh, and they gave him a seven-year contract. And then, of course, Logan Couture, eight-year contract. So in terms of how they got into this uh, position, like a lot of teams, you get into this position because you're winning, and you're winning. Uh, but at some point, though, you know, you sort of have to pay pay the piper. Hmm. And, you know, in some ways, you know, you know, it's kind of funny to look back on it, but getting close in 2016 uh, may have sort of kind of started uh, this sort of... Uh, path of long-term signing guys to long-term contracts and kind of the purgatory that the Sharks find themselves in. And if they had missed and uh, if, you know, if they had, if after 2014, 15, when they missed the playoffs, if they had kind of, you know, fallen off after, after that point, like a lot of people predicted, you know, maybe we'd be looking at a whole kind of brand new Sharks situation. 
Right. Yeah, their books right now are currently littered with seven and eight year deals and all of those players basically have either full no move clauses in the case of Eric Carlson or like three team lists that they can be traded to for pretty much everyone else. And I don't know, part of that leads into why it feels a little bit unsatisfying from from my perspective. Obviously, um, you know, the run that they made to the cup final and they lost to the Penguins was very impressive and they were a really good team and they were awesome in 2018 19 uh, when they made their run as well but unlike teams like say the la kings or the chicago blackhawks where you look at their cap friendly page and it's you know they're saddled they're kind of stuck in that purgatory too because they have so much money tied up in old players at least you can justify it with well we have two cups to show for it in in la's case we have three cups to show for it in chicago's case whereas for san jose there's certainly a long stretch of um, sort of continued excellence where they've only missed the playoffs twice, I believe, in the past 21 seasons or so, but they never got over that hump. So it's really tough to kind of uh, justify and look at that reality of the best days being behind them and them being stuck with this current group considering that. Well, we have a Joe Thornton's cock joke to show for it. That's true. That's true. We do have the rooster. No, you're right. Um, well, and, and I guess, you know, this is going to be such an interesting podcast. I'm really looking forward to doing this one with you as we keep going here because it does feel like it's sort of fertile ground from, you know, I've been talking about all these teams that are in your classic rebuilds where by design they went into last season expecting to be bad and they typically have young players. The Sharks kind of have no real parallel right now where, you know, they clearly didn't expect to be in this position. And we know that because they didn't even have their first round pick. So they certainly weren't prepared to be there. Um, but there's also this big cloud hanging over it where trying to prognosticate what things are going to look like heading into next season. And that's what we're going to try to accomplish here. It's really tough. There's no real certainty. You can certainly take an optimistic view and say, okay, they're going to be healthier. Um, you know, they still have talent. Everything's going to come together and potentially they can squeeze out another run here. But at the same time, there's so many red flags and so many question marks still lingering after last season that it's un- I, I don't really know how to approach that question of what does the immediate future look like for this organization heading into next season? Yeah, it's uh, definitely uh, really cloudy. I did want to go back to the point about, you know, kind of everything the Sharks put into it, everybody they signed, and it feels like uh, maybe they, you know, it wasn't worth it because they didn't come out with the cup. But of course, you know, as, as you know, you know, getting that cup is just so elusive and so difficult. And so I, I don't I can't really fault the Sharks for trying as hard as they did. And just even though, the, you know, they only have one finals appearance to show for it, but they have a decade of teams that could have won it. And it just you don't always win it. And so anyway, just just on that point. But to go back to, I guess, uh, next season. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so very cloudy. Uh, there's there are uh, good scenarios where the guys who were off track last year, like Carlson and Burns and all those guys find their game and the team is sort of a uh, you know like a, a fringish playoff team I think one one comparable might might be the 20 speaking of a team that want that you know that went all in and won a cup the Kings a good parallel might be the 2018-19 Kings where I think uh, you know 2017-18 the Kings uh, had a, a pretty good season right they made it to the playoffs they lost in the first round to the Golden Knights uh, Kopitar and Dowdy had MVP Norris caliber seasons, et cetera, et cetera. Their big signing that offseason was Ilya Kovalchuk, <laughs> uh, three years. And, you know, they thought that, oh, that might be kind of that last piece, you know, bringing in that 25-30 goal scorer. That might that might give this this group one last run. And so what happened to the, the, the Sharks uh, this past season, 
you know, the Sharks had even more success than that Kings team. The Sharks made it to the conference finals. You know, they re-signed Eric Carlson uh, eight years. Uh, they signed Timo Meyer for four years. And you kind of think, oh, yeah, you know, this team has the elements of maybe another run. They did lose a lot of players during the offseason, like Joe Pavelski. But you still think, though, with that core of Carlson and Couture and et cetera, et cetera, that this team is not that far from it. And, of course, it just sort of fell apart this season. So, anyway, that, that's one, uh, one, one comp. Well, yeah, you're right. Back to the point you were making there about the contracts and how hard it is to win a Stanley Cup. You're right. But, like, the ultimate goal is to accrue as much good players as you can and put yourself in a position to um, get lucky, basically, in the playoffs and, and, right. and win it all and have something to show for it. And we certainly, I think, sometimes mess up um, in terms of, like, putting too much emphasis on that. And basically 30 teams are failures. One team is successful because they won the cup and that's how we wind up looking at it in hindsight. But um, you're right. There's certainly nothing wrong with these past 20 years or so of uh, sharks consistently being in the playoffs. And I think making the uh, West finals four of the past nine seasons before last year. But so let's, let's kind of recap the year that they did have then because it, it is such a season from hell and almost everything that could have gone wrong did uh, for those that don't remember because it's been so long ago now they had a 29 36 and 5 record that was the worst point percentage in the west they had a minus 45 goal differential which actually kind of inflates um, and makes them look better than they were because their penalty kill was amazing I think no one gave up fewer right. goals per minute than they did there but at five on five only the Red Wings who were a historically dreadful five on five team had a worse goal differential so that kind of just shows uh, how things bottomed out there Carlson Couture and Hurdle were all out for significant periods of time uh, they sold what they could at the deadline getting picks back for you know Goodrow and Marlowe and Dylan um they wound up in the in the third draft lot and didn't even get to make that pick because the Senators owned it from there across the trade. And we're going to talk a lot about Carlson and that trade here in a bit. Um, but, you know, when I was thinking of like where this started or where it went back, I guess, you know, for me, I remember in the in the offseason in 2019, I, I sort of thought that the Sharks came out like bandits a little bit or um, as good as they could have, all things considered, because they avoided anyone sort of offer sheeting uh, Timo Meyer or Kevin LeBanc and really making things even more difficult for them. They were able to retain right. both guys. But I think maybe if I look back at it now, we might have undersold just the sort of death by a thousand cuts approach where they lost Yunus Donskoy, they lost Gustav Nyquist, they lost Justin Braun, they obviously lost Joe Pavelski. And when you start to bleed that much talent, um, you know, it might have we might have just not given that enough credit how much of an impact that would sort of lead to this team. And maybe that explains why uh, their performance did drop off the way it did last year. Right. And concurrently, you know, we talked about all the uh, long-term contracts and, you know, how the Sharks got where they were and how the contracts make it hard for them to get out of where they are. But at the same time, too, uh, over the last few years, uh, their draft picks uh, haven't really been been hitting yet. And uh, some of that goes back to, you know, if, if you go back to like, uh, let's see, looking back to 20, 2013, the, the, the Sharks draft. And from that point on, the Sharks have not uh, had a lot of successful, uh, a lot of guys come in uh, and, and, and really hit, especially in the late, in, you know, later picks. And of course, you can't blame the Sharks fully for that. Later picks, the Sharks were in a position because they were winning a lot that a lot of their picks were not early. So they didn't get the, you know, the, the primo talent. But if you look back over the last uh, eight years, the only real late-round uh, impact uh, draft pick was uh, Kevin LeBanc. And in terms, uh, Kevin LeBanc was a, a sixth-rounder in 2014. 
And then the few, the, the few first round picks they've had, uh, looking back 2013, 2014, uh, Miracle Mueller, Nikolai Godobin. You know, these are later first round picks. These aren't lottery picks, but still, you know, these are guys that you would hope, you know, one of these guys would hit. Of course, 2015, they did a great with Timo Meyer, their one lottery pick. Mm -hmm. But then, if you look then, since then, and none of these guys have really, you know, 2016, Gambrell, Gregor, Blickfeld. And these guys may make an impact. Yeah, these guys are decent prospects, but they haven't, though. Um, and so, one of the sea changes, of course, for the Sharks and their drafting was in 2017, Doug Wilson Jr. took more of a hand, took, uh, you know, kind of a is now kind of a two-headed uh, monster with him and uh, Tim Burke. And we've seen a, a lot more positive reviews of Sharks picks since then, since 2017. And a guy like Josh Norris looks like he's going to be a pretty good player for the Senators. Uh, Mario Ferraro was a, actually a very good play, uh, defenseman for the Sharks this, this past season. And so maybe we'll start to see kind of the, the benefits from those picks. But uh, we haven't seen them yet, though. And so anyway, in terms of what happened now, going back to the Sharks last offseason and losing Donskoy, losing Pavelski, and all those guys. So what, what happens is that you lose kind of your, your depth from that Western Conference final team. And, you know, one of the marks of that depth was the Sharks had nine 50-point scorers on that 2018-19 uh, uh, team, nine of them. Mm -hmm. And the closest team to that was the Bruins. The Bruins had five. And I know points aren't an exact way to, you know, show anything, but it just kind of shows how much, how deep that Sharks team was. But then you lose guys like Nyquist and Pavelski. Those are two of your 50-point scorers there. And you start to lose that depth. And you have nobody coming up young that, um, that can kind of even start to, start to make up for the lack of production there. And then you kind of see what, what happens for this 2018-19 for this team. Uh, and then guys like Joe Thornton, who were so good in 2018-19, this past season, not so good. And guys get hurt. And then you don't have space to sign anybody because you resign Eric Carlson to a maximum pretty, you know, you make him mm -hmm. the highest paid defenseman in the, in the league. And so it just becomes, you know, like you said, everything went wrong there. Not only did they have nine 50 point players, I had that in my notes as well, but Carlson had 45 points in 53 games. So he was right. well on his way there as well. And, and to put that in perspective this year, obviously acknowledging that they only played 70 games. So they fell short by 12 and, and, you know, Timo Meyer would have gone there. Timo Meyer led the team with 49 points this season. So at the, at the end of the day, they didn't have a single 50 point guy in those 70 games. Whereas the year before um, they were just this kind of uh, well-oiled juggernaut that could basically roll uh, their entire lineup. And so, I don't know, as we spin things forward um you know it, it, it is does still feel surreal because what at what point in the season for you covering the team did you really have to pivot because i remember at the start of the year they came out sputtering out of the gate and it felt like we were all kind of doing this song and dance where we were like almost paralyzed by fear to make any sort of bold proclamations so we were just waiting for them to realize their potential or I guess our preseason expectations of them to rip off a winning streak and get back on track and then at some point you eventually had to realize that it wasn't happening especially considering that it wasn't like they were unlucky it was also that the underlying numbers suggested that their performances had significantly dropped off but what point in the year for you did you sort of reach that moment where you could kind of confidently say that it just was not going to happen in 2019-20? I think uh, sometime uh, after they fired Pete in uh, in January or so, and you just kept waiting for Eric Carlson to really, you know, come back and be Ottawa Eric Carlson, even Eric Carlson that they signed to the eight-year contract, uh, even Eric Carlson who in 2018-19 for a couple 
couple months there was, you know, possibly the best player in the world in that December or January stretch when he was healthy. Um, you kept waiting for that to happen. And it just, you know, he'd show like a period, a shift here or there, but it just wasn't going to happen. So that was problematic. Um, also, too, uh, you kept kind of hoping that, well, somebody would emerge from this cast of young players to kind of, you know, not be a star. Nobody was expecting a Dylan Gambrell, for example, to be a first-line player. But, you know, could you know, were they ex hoping that one of these guys could play solid third-line top nine minutes? I, I bet they were. And so in terms of that kind of, uh, yeah, yeah, I think you, 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 do, you do capture it right, that when you look at the guys' track record on this team, the stars, Hurdle, Carlson, et cetera, et cetera, you keep waiting for something to turn around and just never did. But I do have to say, though, that I, even though it wasn't until like January or so, I just knew that this team wasn't going to go anywhere, that even during, the, even during the summer when they didn't sign anybody to replace the Donskoy, the Pavelsis, et cetera, that that was already looking kind of, kind of uh, dangerous because their young players, from what I had seen, their young prospects, did not look ready to step in. And I went to the rookie games uh, that uh, that September, and you know, it was a tournament that they they held, uh, or that was the Pacific Division teams, teams like uh, Arizona, Vegas, et cetera, et cetera, uh, before the the season. Uh, and that was in Anaheim. And talking to scouts there, and a lot of the the Sharks prospects, guys that they hoped would step in, step in, guys like uh, Chimileski, uh, Chekovic, uh, guys like that, guys that they sort of hoped maybe they would make an impact this year. Uh, I was watching, talking with a lot of scouts, and all the scouts were saying the same thing. I don't know what Doug Wilson is thinking here. Like this group, this group of young players. Not that they don't have talent, but you know, these do not look like guys who are ready to step in. And so that was probably the point where I should have probably been more like, yeah, you know, like I see the same thing. These young players aren't going to step in. So if these young players don't step in, and you get drop off from the older players, which you did get, then what's going to happen with this team? Well, you know, we saw what happened. Yes, we did. All right, we're going to take a quick break here, hear from some sponsors, and then we're going to keep up this conversation on the other end of things. 2020 has really forced us all to reshape the way we work and try to become more efficient in the process, whether it is having Zoom meetings on a daily basis or working remotely from home, or if you're running the PDO cast, watching and rewatching old games as opposed to new ones because there's nothing currently to talk about. We've all had to make adjustments to become more efficient. Fortunately, for businesses out there that are looking to make the most of their hires moving forward, Indeed is here to help. Indeed's the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site. They help you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. And unlike other job sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. I think the NHL could use something like Indeed. Think about the Edmonton Oilers, for example, who, for some reason, decided to come back this following year with Nico Koskinen and Mike Smith and Net. If they had had something like Indeed to use, hopefully they would have been able to find a better candidate that would have been more suited to their needs, and they would have addressed the big opening they have in Net. So that's just something to consider. But Indeed's new way of matching you with candidate instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, which makes Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. And right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. So try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
This is the best offer available anywhere. Go right now to indeed.com slash blue wire. Let them know we sent you. This offer is valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Sponsoring today's episode of the Hockey PDO cast is Bet Online. You might not be going to a game this year as we wait for the world to sort itself out and for this pandemic to end and for it to be safe to go back to live sporting events. But in the meantime, you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. Obviously, there's no hockey or basketball on right now anymore with their seasons over, but football's still on. And down the road, when we know when the NHL season is going to be getting back, you're going to be able to go on there and start wagering on futures like championship, who do you think is going to win next season, Stanley Cup, wagering on wins, uh, you know, player props. There's going to be a lot of good stuff there. So uh, I recommend going there now and familiarizing yourself with it and trying it out and taking it for a spin and then getting ready in advance of the next season. So just head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses they've got there. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag to let them know that we sent you. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Yeah, I mean, okay, so here's the next thing. So in terms of the question of how do they fix things or how do they sort of redirect the course of this most recent trajectory they're on to prevent this from being the new normal for this organization to make this sort of a one-year aberration, um, you you can kind of view it from a couple different sort of lenses. I think normally you would say this was just a throwaway season, especially down the stretch where um, when they kind of threw in the the, the 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 towel on the season and they basically just started ruling guys out for the year after they got banged up and their lineup looked like sort of the, you know, the Barracuda more so than the Sharks. Um, it, it, you could kind of say, okay, listen, this is a throwaway season. We're going to regroup. We're going to bounce back next year, and we're just going to sort of throw it out. There's not much you can take from this. Not very few silver linings. And normally, I would say that. I think in this case, um, it, it's a bit sort of maybe either lazy or foolish or a combination of them to simply just sort of, or maybe dangerous as an analyst to just be like, okay, things are going to bounce back to the way they were before next year because I need to see some sort of a, a fundamental change or a structural uh, difference that's going to happen moving forward. And so we can view that from the coaching perspective. We can view that from, um, you know, the the talent that they already have on the team. We can also view that from what they did to improve their team or reasons to believe that things are going to be better. And, you know, Doug Wilson's hands were mostly tied because they do have so much money committed to a lot, uh, a finite number of players, uh, veterans, as we alluded to. And, also, given the current financial climate with the pandemic and the uncertainty surrounding what the cap's going to look like, when games are going to be played, when fans are going to be in the stands again, and you're going to be able to get that gate revenue, um, teams weren't spending the way they normally would have in the past. So the the sort of room uh, to improve and, and ways to add talent was certainly more difficult to come by. But you look at this roster, and basically, I guess the only difference really is that they added Ryan Donato and 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 Devin Dubnik. Like I guess they brought back Matt Nieto too, but it seems like it's betting a lot on the talent and the infrastructure already in place as opposed to sort of injecting any new young talent and hoping that that's going to make the difference. Oh, you forgot Patrick Barlow too there, so. <laughs> oh, of course. Well, when I'm when I'm talking about you know, injecting youthful enthusiasm and young talent. Yes, it's true. 
But uh, yeah, um, it, it definitely is a, a bet on the current uh, infrastructure, like you said, of the team. You know, Doug Wilson keeps repeating. I've heard him say it like a half dozen times already that the bones of this team are strong. You know, he's talking about guys like Couture and Carlson and Burns. And I think he has to kind of say that, too, because he's tied into those contracts for so long. And so there's, of course, no reason to submarine your own players to the press. <laughs> so he's not going to do that. So, so yeah, so he, there's, he really doesn't have much choice but to kind of anchor himself to these players. Uh, the one thing I disagree with what they're doing this offseason, though, is, and, you know, far be it for me to spend somebody's money, of course, but, you know, there is so much, you know, and I hate to use this word in such an unfortunate time, but... You know, there's a lot of opportunity in free agency market to sign guys for, you know, way lower than and for way shorter a term than than you had to in years past. And one would expect that the market's going to revive at some point. I'm not talking about soon, like next year, the free agency market will be very tough for the for the free agents, too, I'm sure. But at some point, the market's going to, you know, go, going going to going to come back. And so some some guy you sign for, like, say, like a Craig Smith who signed for three years, nine million this this past off season is going to look like a real bargain maybe in a couple of years. And even if you don't want to avoid a guy like Smith who's a little bit older, there are guys in their late twenties out there who can help you and who are caught for, you know, half the price that they normally would be in, in, a, in a normal UFA year. And so the the Sharks, I feel, are kind of missing this opportunity to basically, you know, again, if we talk about this team looks kind of like the team last year that was you know very bad last year, it that is what the team looks like. And going into the, this offseason, my perspective was that this team needed basically a brand new third line. And in most offseasons, getting a third line is, you know, it's no chump change. Uh, it it, it, it would have it cost them a, a decent amount. But this offseason, they could have got pretty much a brand new third line, uh, pretty decent players for, I don't know, like uh, 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 six, seven million overall. You get two, three good players. Um, and I think that that's what the team kind of needed. And as for why the Sharks haven't done that and why they've kind of stuck with kind of the, the, the bargain kind of kind of shopping with uh, Marlowe and Nieto, um, it could be because, you know, they don't have money coming in, which is understandable. Again, it's easy for me to, you know, to spend, uh, hypothetically spend Hasso Plattner's uh, billions of dollars, you know. But um, I think there is an opportunity missed there to kind of capture if, if you're going to stick with the kind of the bones of this team, the Eric Carlson at age 30, Brent Burns at age 35, and hope that they have another great season or two in them. You know, if you happen to get that lucky and they do have that great season or two left in them, you know, you're going to miss in terms of having the depth around them, I think. Unless, you know, unless, of course, the Sharks prospects, you know, who did kind of failed them this past season, they had another year to grow. And that another year could be a big difference for guys like, you know, I mentioned like Chimileski and Gambrell and Oak Gregor and whatever. You know, not big names, not names that, you know, unless you're like a prospects nerd, you would know. But guys that if they even can play kind of good middle six minutes, that would be a huge boon for the Sharks. Well, I think the point that also further uh, keys in on what you were saying there and one of the most head-scratching decisions to me in terms of the way they did spend the limited resources they had was how they decided to approach uh, what they have in the crease, mm -hmm. right? Where 
And I think for me, you know, it's it's still really difficult to separate system from goalie performance. And I think it's very clear that any goalie playing behind what we saw the past year or two from this team, even when they were in their heyday in 2018-19, there were certainly moments where they were leaving their goalie out to dry and it was a difficult environment to post a high save percentage in. But that said, I think it's you can you can't argue that Martin Jones has been genuinely bad the past two years. I mean, no one has a worse save percentage. It's an 896 over the past two years. Minus 26 goals saved above expected is near the bottom of the league. And they basically viewed that with Aaron Dell going out the door and said, well, we're going to add a proven goalie, certainly in Devin Dubnik, but one who literally has the league worst, minus 46 <laughs> goals saved above expected in that time. And, you know, even acknowledging that there's probably some funky score effects in terms of how uh, they keep uh, shot distances and stuff in Minnesota that inflates those numbers. And the fact that, you know, they got Minnesota to retain half of the cap commitments and it's only a one-year deal. I think the ultimate question I keep coming back to is, is why? Because you're talking about a 34-year-old goalie that's going from a great defensive structure to one that's uh, certainly in the bottom half of the league. Um, And this was a summer where, as you just talked about with all the players, especially for goalies, this was true. Pretty much everyone was available for much less than they normally would go for. And they could have had their pick of the litter. And instead, it felt like maybe they even misjudged the market because they made this trade before free agency opened and sort of committed themselves to this Martin Jones, Devin Dubnik tandem. And I just don't really understand the rationale for that. I guess you could argue that anything can happen in one year with goalies and they're both big names. And certainly we've seen crazier things happen than a random rejuvenation for, for one of these guys. But it just seems like kind of like a bad bet for me, especially considering what was available there and for the prices involved. And it seems like very it kind of lacked ambition. Um, you know, they can talk a big game and have a brave face about expecting Carlson and Burns to bounce back and, and all these guys to get healthy and make another run. But if you're planning on doing so heading into next season, I don't know how you can, with a straight face, say that Martin Jones and Devin Dubnik is your best bet in that to, to accomplish that. Well, I think they're definitely placing a lot of stock in, uh, you know, speaking of the coaching staff, right? And we haven't mentioned them yet. You know, you know, Bob Bugner is staying on, and he was brought in uh, to us to uh, a kind of, uh, you know, big name uh, assistants in uh, Rocky Thompson and John Madden. And I think there's going to be an emphasis on defensive structure with this team. Now, I'm not sure how that's going to work with the team that, you know, guys like Carlson and Burns who are better offensively than they are defensively. And I don't say that with any kind of. Uh, uh, you know, um, it's it's not a it's not a dig on them. You know, it's just those are that's who these guys are, and so it'll be kind of interesting how those guys fit into that. But <clears throat> but if they if they do accomplish that and fit in a better defensive structure, have everybody buying into that, and they can score a few more goals, I think that's what they count on to protect a guy like Martin Jones. You know, one thing that that they they hammered a lot uh, during the off season was uh, just how Bob Bugner was able to change. Uh, the, the the key stat they kept citing were, were uh, rush chances. And be, before uh, that last season under Pete in the first a couple of months, the Sharks were 30th in the league in rush chances. And I actually tracked back on that and confirmed it with Sport Logic. And so, you know, I think, it's, I think they're citing the same stats. But yeah, so anyway, so they were 30th in the league under Pete. And when Bob Bugner took over, they were able to get themselves up to, up to the top 10 in the league in terms of uh, uh, rush chances allowed. And concurrently, uh, both Martin Jones and uh, Aaron Dell's uh, uh, statistics uh, improved. You know, their save percentage wasn't great by any stretch, but it was still kind of, it, it became, it went from league worst to league average-ish. 
And mm -hmm. so I think that's one thing they're hanging their hat on. One thing that I've never been able to to ask really ask them or drill down on then, okay, is okay, I see that uh, that Bob, uh, you know, how much he, he he himself did, but after but after Bob came came on, their defensive stats did improve. We can see that. But of course, what happened to Martin Jones in 2018-19 when when the when the Sharks' <laughs> defensive true. stats weren't, you know, at least on, on paper they didn't look bad. And so, you know, what what happened then? But on 2019, uh, on this past season, though, they they're they're right on that 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 Jones' stats did improve with a you know kind of a evidence of a better defensive structure. And so, I think that's one thing they're hanging their hat on. Also, the fact that again, you know, he's a contract. Uh, they signed him to a six-year contract a little while ago. He has four years left. What are you going to do with him? You know, and so just if you're, you can't, you know, you, you can't afford to buy him out. You're not going to do that. Um, there's no reason to, you know, to submarine him uh, publicly to the press. So what can you do but try to build around him and try to, you know, put him in a position to succeed or at least put him in a position to be average. And I think the same goes for Devin Dubnik. Even though Dubnik, of course, they don't have that long-term commitment. But I think that they wanted to bring in somebody who was a starting caliber goalie before, who had that kind of experience. So in case Jones falters again, they can go with somebody that they kind of they they, they could kind of trust uh, more than Arundel, a guy who's kind of had that starting load before in Dubnik. And so even though it's not the most exciting of uh, a pickups, uh, Dubnik, um, you know the fact that also too that uh, Minnesota picked up half the contract. Um, I think it's it's okay, you know. Again, it's it's not exactly uh, it's it's not it's not the most exciting of, of, of deals. And sure, they could have signed a they could have signed a guy like Kadobin for for three years, not and for not too much money. But I think too that they wanted to stay away from kind of a long term commitment there because for one thing, again, how goaltending can kind of shift from year to year for one thing. So you don't want to sign a guy like Kadobin who's thirty four. And see his numbers kind of fall in their face when he leaves a much better defensive structure in Dallas and goes to San Jose, or even a guy like Cam Talbot, you know, another three-year guy who's probably might be a better goalie than than Dubnik now is actually replacing Dubnik. But once again, the the three-year commitment, even though it's not a long-term commitment, is still you know longer than the one-year com commitment they have to Dubnik. Yeah, I uh, I just would have liked to see them, I guess, aim for a higher upside option. Mm -hmm. I think even in the best case scenario for Dubnik bouncing back, I, I feel like we kind of, you can cap the ceiling on what that's going to look like, especially at this point of his career. But you're right, with goaltending, who knows? And I, I think the bigger point there certainly is what's going on in front of them and sort of trying to um, at least make it a more sort of palatable situation where they're not just um, completely leave them out to dry. Right. And, and so when, when, Bo when Boomer took over... Um, you know, it's tough to make any sweeping proclamations because it's less than 40 games worth of data and they only had Carlson, Hurdle, and Couture for about half the games. But I do think it is encouraging that the numbers across the board uh, did all basically improve, right? Like they, at 5-on-5, they went from 20th in shot share, 23rd in high danger chance share, and 26th in expected goal share to 15th, 8th, and 9th respectively. And that's in large part because... Um, the defensive numbers all went up. They stopped bleeding chances at like a top five level in the league and really sort of got stingier. Now, you know, the talent thinned out because of all those injuries. And so the shooting percentage dropped. And so the results themselves didn't necessarily improve, but the underlying process did look a lot better and at least kind of lends itself to the idea that the system was, it was as big of a problem as the goaltending and it'll get better. And I guess that's, that's a sort of a surprising revelation for me because 
I didn't really have high hopes heading into into this regime because uh, the last time we'd saw, seen Babuna run a team was the 2018-19 Florida Panthers, who were uh, just as bad defensively, I think, as the Sharks were before under Pete DeBurr to the point where it sort of drove them crazy and forced them into, or I guess didn't force them, but uh, made them believe that you know, they they needed such drastic changes that they went out and paid a ton of money for Sergei Bobrovsky and made all these wide sweeping moves. And it wound up being that, you know, James Reimer goes to a better defensive system in Carolina and looks just fine and maybe made us uh, sort of realize that the, the defense was as much to blame as the goaltending. And so after you see that, uh, I certainly wasn't very optimistic about what would happen, but based on those 35 or so games that we saw under the new coaching staff, they were, so there were certainly encouraging signs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that the hope is that they can kind of continue this, this, the, this uh, strong defensive play. They obviously get their stars healthy. They're uh, guys like Carlson and Couture and Hurdle. And then hopefully have uh, one of these younger guys kind of surprise and, you know, maybe a, a year late, right? But hey, a year late is better than never. And so, and also, guy, they also traded for a guy like like the Ryan Donato, who not to put too much, uh, you know, pin too much hopes on him, but the guy can definitely score. I mean, this guy led the the Wild in I think even strength goals last year, and this is playing fourth line minutes. And so, yes, on one hand, you have to. There's a reason why the Wild dumped him. You know, like the Wild aren't completely stupid, <laughs> so they're, they're yeah. you know, they know this guy led them in in even strength scoring. On the other hand, you know, if, you know, there, there must be some flaws in this game as to why they let a 24-year-old scorer like that go for just a third-round pick. But for the Sharks, though, he does represent some hope. And so there's a guy who, if you can find his his game a bit, then you've added another scorer on the cheap. Um, and then maybe, you know, again, all the young players I mentioned, maybe one of them steps up. So there is some hope for this team to be kind of, uh, you know, I used the Kings comparison uh, 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 right there earlier, but... I see this team and its ceiling to be kind of like the 2017-18 Kings. And that's a team, again, that made the playoffs. Uh, Kov- I'm sorry, uh, Kopitar and Doughty had, you know, fantastic seasons that year. And so can guys like Carlson and Burns find that? Yes, I think so. Uh, can Couture, you know, Hurdle be healthy, have strong seasons? Can Timo Meyer and Kevin LeBanc take a step up? And, yeah, I think those things are very possible. And so... You know, I think that's sort of the hope that you kind of, uh, you know, I don't know if the organization and talking about Doug Wilson ownership sees this team as a Stanley Cup team. Hence, they're kind of uh, pretty uh, along the edges kind of uh, additions, this free agency. You know, if they thought this team was a player away, they've shown in the past, you know, whether it's trading for Eric Carlson or whatever, that if they think this team is a player away, they will make that commitment. You know, this, this ownership is not cheap by any stretch. And so I don't think that that's how they see this team. But, you know, can this team kind of around the edges, you know, be kind of that uh, fringe playoff team, second round, you know, ceiling team? Yeah, I think so. Well, I guess presumably the most optimistic outlook of this team would hinge on just better health, right? right. I think that's what they're kind of banking on. And I'd be willing to buy that to a certain extent. The thing that's troublesome for me and that kind of um, cancels it out or raises red flags about that being your sort of um, thing you're hanging your hat on is the fact that, you know, this is a roster that's clearly leaning heavily on players who are either approaching their 30s already there and in some cases in their mid 30s and beyond that more worrisomely is just kind of the heavy number of miles that have been put on their bodies over the years um and sort of the way they've played and you know like 
I think you could argue that their two most important players, as weird as this is to say, are, are Eric Carlson and Thomas Hurdle for different degrees, but or for different reasons. But you know, in the case of a guy like Hurdle, um, it's this is what the third uh, sort of major knee injury he's had now. I think he's still only 27 years old, so hopefully um, he'll be able to bounce back from that. Hopefully it doesn't completely sap his explosion, but that's kind of a bummer for me because he's one of my favorite players to watch when he's going, and especially in 2018-19, he was kind of the driver of that offense where he scored 35 goals in the regular season, chipped in another 10 in the playoffs, was just this high-danger chance-generating machine, and and now there's a lot of uncertainty there as well. I think it's dangerous to just assume that he's going to be able to shake it off and come back and look like that past version of himself, considering um, this isn't just sort of a one-off yeah yeah it's actually his second major one so if that you know makes 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 us all feel better so well so didn't didn't he he have um he had one in his rookie season and then he had one in the in the final against uh pittsburgh when he wound up missing 30 games the next year i believe and then this is his third one so yeah you're right though you're right you're right Right. But, well, definitely three stretches where he's going to have missed significant periods of time. So it's not it's not nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. No. You're right. You're right. And well, I guess the the the, the good news there maybe maybe this this long break will give him that kind of that chance to kind of to kind of retain that uh, that extra extra bit a bit of uh, explosion there uh, that he might have been missing if he had started the season on time. And you know, of course, right now everybody's uh, saying all the the right things, the rosy things. But right now they're they're saying that he is you know as healthy as ever. And so, and I guess though there is a lot of uh, a lot hinging though on his health, and of course you know Eric Carlson's too, and those are guys that have had you know questions uh, with their health, uh, a lot of questions right over the years. Um, okay, so let's kind of keep going and, and unpacking the the coaching situation and sort of the actual structural changes that resulted in 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 those numbers. And you know, I will start off by saying I do feel. A bit for Pete DeBerg. He's obviously um, in a nice spot now with Vegas and will be coaching a contender, so I don't feel too bad for him. He landed on his feet, certainly. But I remember at the time when he was fired, I think the team was 31st and 5 on 5 save percentage and similarly overall. And regardless of how good of a job you're doing as a coach, if you're getting those results, I don't care what the defensive system is, it's going to be tough for you to to win hockey games. And uh, he's an easy guy to poke fun of for me because every time the camera pants him on the bench, he has this like look on his face where he just received terrible news, but his is trying to sort of suppress his emotions and save face while he's in public and he's going to go cry it out later in the room. So he's an easy guy to poke fun at, but I do think he's a heck of a coach and his, you know, his track record speaks for itself in terms of getting results from his teams. But so, you know, Boomer takes over um, and the results improve. And especially, I know you wrote recently about uh, sort of Brent Burns and trying to optimize his performance, but he was one where all year he was healthy. So he avoided the injury bug, like a lot of these guys, but um, you could whether it was the loss of Joe Pavelski and not having him around to to kind of help tip up that high volume of of, uh, of point shots that Burns was generating, or whether it was just uh, you know a matter of the fact that he's what thirty five, thirty six years old now. The results themselves for him were also kind of took a took a worrisome downtick and and sort of bumped back up, and he had a bit of a resurgence under Boomer. And I kind of wanted to talk about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think uh, one of the things too, in terms of you, you allude to Joe Pavelski not being there in front of tip to shots too, but also too, you know, if you introduce all these forwards to the team last year and they're not as good as the guys before, not just in terms of getting to the net and getting their stick in position to tip shots, but also to even just retrieving the puck in the corners and getting it back to Brent in good shooting positions. And Brent's a guy who can shoot it from pretty much any position, right? But uh, you still got to get him the puck in kind of a place where he can do something with it. 
And so just all those kind of little kind of death by a thousand cuts kind of still, right? Where all these little things are kind of sapping at kind of, uh, uh, you know, allowing him to maximize his game. Um, but I think in terms of what uh, Bob, I think, will try to do uh, when he took over, and it looks like, you know, we don't know for sure, but looks like they'll try to do this year is try to involve him and Eric in terms of almost playing, you know, like a forward more, just, you know, be down there more and, uh, and, and, mix, and mix in a little bit and, and attack that way. And I think uh, that could be a way to kind of change things up because this is going to be a different Sharks team. It's going to be different than what Pete liked to run in terms of, you know, everything centered around Brett Burns and his point shot under Pete DeBoer. And recognizing that the forwards aren't as good these days for the Sharks and you don't have, a, you know, the best guy in the league tipping shots like Joe Blavelski in front anymore, then you got to change things up a little bit. Oh, I think they got changed up a lot. It's it's crazy. I mean, they certainly had success doing so, but in 2020, when it feels like most teams are um, looking to sort of pursue quality over quantity and maybe sort of try to increase the likelihood of making the most of your opportunities when you are in the offensive zone, they were settling for these crazy low percentage shots. I remember I wrote about it uh, last season and, and got a lot of pushback from people saying, oh, well, they're just aiming for 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 those tips and you know they're going to benefit from the mayhem that results in the loose loose pucks and the recoveries and the rebounds and there's certainly some merit to that and they were better at it than most teams but when your entire offense is flowing through point shots from even a guy like Brent Burns who's better at it than most defensemen it's just it's such low percentage right like you're talking like the typical defenseman is going to be scoring on less than 5% of his shots compared to what forwards are doing, whereas there's more 11, 12 range. And it just seems like you, they needed to modernize that plan of attack. And I think that is um, the right way to go about it. When, when I'm thinking of what the identity of this team is going to be moving forward or how they're going to succeed in an ideal world in terms of playing style, it needs to be just activating Burns and Carlson, allowing them to, pinch, allowing them to jump up into the play, um, allowing them to be more aggressive with those sort of neutral zone reloads where after a long possession, they quickly get it back in while other teams tired and changing. And so it needs to be a lot more of that and a lot less of that sort of um, cycle that they were doing where they would just pass it out to the point, shoot it, kind of try to recover it, get it back out to the point and rinse and repeat because that clearly wasn't working. Yeah, well, I think they had the elements for that uh, to do that kind of rinse and repeat uh, over the years. When you had Joe Thornton, who was still close enough to prime Joe Thornton, even in his late 30s, where he can hold guys off and, you know, make space along the wall and, you know, suck guys in and and then make some unbelievable pass. And, of course, you had Joe Pavelski in front of the net. So that formula worked because you had the right players for it. Uh, I agree, though, that the Sharks team now just – they don't have the, the the horses for that necessarily anymore, um, and so we, in that case, then yeah, they did kind of have to change up, and um, yeah, and I think I think that's that's one thing that it will be interesting to see uh, if uh, guys like Burns and Carlson can really you know find their game uh, that way. You know, maybe that's one way. But of course, though, you know, with those guys, if they're if those guys are going to be attacking you know, below the dots more, that's going to put more pressure on the forward to come back and, 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 you know, cover for those guys. And this is, of course, the Sharks, you know, forwards group that did not look good last year, did not look good in uh, any element, including <laughs> defense last year, too. And so we'll, we'll be, it'll be interesting to see if those guys can, can kind of, you know, fill that kind of make up for that uh, this, uh, this season, you know, covering for guys like Burns and Carlson. 
Yeah, and it's, it kind of leads back to if you're doing that and you're playing that way, then you're probably putting more on the plate of Devin Dubnik and Martin Jones, yeah, and, and that might not be a, a great great strategy either. Um, all right, let's talk a bit about Carlson then, because I guess maybe it's just because we're in that period of the pandemic now where everyone's bored and, and we're all kind of going a bit crazy and they're trying to look for things to talk about, but... I'm not on Twitter as much as I used to be just because there's not that much going on and I'm kind of trying to pace myself and, uh, and keep sane. But, um, I did notice there was a lot of uh, conversation recently about Eric Carlson and how good he's actually been Mm -hmm. and the trade and sort of revisionist history and stuff. And, and I thought it was, it was kind of completely missing the plot. Like this this is just the way people were talking about Eric Carlson, which just kind of drove me crazy because, uh, certainly, you know, the last time we saw him, he didn't look like Pete Eric Carlson, obviously. And I think at this point of his career, it's fair to wonder what that next version of Carlson is going to look like, considering the injuries he's had, considering that he's 30. Um, I had Jack Hahn on the podcast recently, and he wrote a great article about this, but he was worried about sort of his skating right. mechanics and and the uh, and the ability to sort of explode and, and, and be vintage himself. And he certainly had to change his game. I think even when he was humming the past year and a half or so um, and playing well and posting good results you saw him sort of pick his spots more and not necessarily jump up as aggressively as he used to. And that's going to come with, with sort of the territory of the age he's at now. And I think if anyone is suited to have a second sort of post peak, um, strong performance or strong kind of uh, development of their career, it's going to be Carlson because he does have the sort of guile and the, and the translatable skills to adapt and remain effective. So I remain confident about him. I'm not going to, it's worrisome that in the past three years now he's missed uh, a chunk of games each season and I'm no doctor, so I'm not going to comment on that. I, I will just say that in terms of his performance and sort of projecting how he's going to look like in the next couple of years, I still remain in the camp of the optimistic side that I do think we we haven't seen the last of Eric Carlson being an impact defenseman. Well, I, I'd rather talk about uh, or revisit Eric Carlson trade than talk about Evander Kane fighting uh, Logan Paul or Jake Paul. So, <laughs> right, that's true. <laughs> but uh, in terms of uh, uh, Eric, um, yeah, I I I, I think that uh, the problem though here is that. They've signed him, you know, and again, it's not his fault that they signed him to that contract they signed him for, but he is the highest paid defenseman in the league. And so you need to get that kind of performance from him, you know, what you expect just to, you know, make that money worth it. And he wasn't terrible last year by any stretch. And I don't think he was as bad as his worst critics made him out to be last year. But he wasn't a game changer last year. And at the money he's making, he's got to be a game changer. And not to, you know, not to just uh, point the finger at him, you know, that whole team, you know, Brent Burns, et cetera, et cetera, you know, a local contour were paid to be game changers and they were not last year. Um, but it's hard to say with, with, with Carlson just because, well, as you mentioned, you know, so much has been clouded the last uh, few seasons by, uh, it looks like injuries, right? And yeah, we're not doctors, but it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if I'm as confident. Uh, I, I know that uh, Carlson is a very proud player, and I think I, I do think that he probably will figure out a way to 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 still be impactful. But you know how impactful, and will that be you know eleven point five million dollars impactful a year? I don't know. Well, everyone talks about, and and deservedly so, that 2017 postseason run he had was probably as dominant as I've ever seen Mm -hmm. a player play in terms of the impact he had on the ice for a Senators team that that wasn't very good beyond him. But I think we're sort of losing sight of the fact or maybe underrating how good he was in 2018-19 for the Sharks. I know he missed time with injury and it it ended on a sour note, 
But as you alluded to earlier, there were stretches in that season where he was as good as he's ever been, I think. And, you know, he finished the year, I think, in terms of his on-ice impacts, they were they were through the roof, where they were like in the 59% uh, percent territory and a lot of their sh- uh, sh- shot share metrics at 5-on-5 and, and all the sort of predictive stuff that we look at in underlying metrics. And so um, it hasn't been that long of him not being that great. I think for whatever reason, we don't think of that 2018-19 season he had as being uh, a peak version of him. And maybe it looked a little different physically than he did during his heyday in Ottawa, but the results were were still there. And that kind of is what I'm clinging on to because it that that wasn't that long ago. It's really just one year removed. Well, uh, Doug Wilson is clinging on that uh, onto that too, and <laughs> that's true. That's true. And you know, there's a reason why. You know, again, you know, you know, Doug Wilson is you know very smart hockey man. There's a reason why he signed Carlson to eight years, and it's because of uh, that December January stretch that I alluded to, where Eric was was amazing, and he was uh, you know in in the range of of yeah of as good as I've seen him. You know, uh, but the problem, of course, uh, I think in terms of perception. I think the problem was that, you know, he got hurt. Uh, he hurt his uh, groin in, I think, uh, mid-January, early January. And he came back after that, but he was really never the same. And so the Eric Carlson that we remember from 2018-19, most of it is going to be from the playoffs, right? Uh, and the Sharks did make a good run. But that was, you know, a hampered Eric Carlson throughout the playoffs. I mean, there were stretches when he started to look more like himself. And then it would kind of, you know, you know, I think in the Colorado, second round, the Colorado series, I wrote about that, where he sort of looked like he was more like himself. But then, of course, in the mm-hmm. St. Louis series, he couldn't even finish the series. And and of course, no. that's what that's what that's what everybody saw. This kind of, you know, on and off, uh, on and off play in, in in the postseason, and also, of course, on and off even just appearances, because yeah, he wasn't, he didn't even play the. The, the last game, the, the elimination game against the Blues in the conference finals. And so I think 2018-19, uh, you know, kind of going a little off topic here, but for Sharks fans, 2018-19, the big what if is if Eric Carlson was healthy because that is the most talented Sharks team that they've, they've ever had. And they had so much depth, but, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're kind of fulcrum guy in Carlson. Uh, well, they had two fulcrum guys and Burns and Carlson and Burns was healthy enough and but Carlson was not. And so that's going to be a big what if that will haunt Sharks fans, especially if, you know, this next, uh, you know, seven years of Carlson's contract, you know, doesn't turn around. I mean, I think the much bigger issue, it's obviously at a lower cap hit, but we haven't talked about Mark Edward Vlasic right. yet. And uh as the pressing as the first 50 or so minutes of this of this show have been we're about to reach an even more uh somber note here and i do want to start off by saying that uh all the respect in the world to market or vlasic who um along with guys like nicholas jarmerson i think really helped change the game by redefining what we think of as a modern shutdown mm-hmm. defenseman where he would do it in more subtle ways right like he would not only patrol the blue line but sometimes extend his coverage into the neutral zone and kind of break up plays before they even happened um he'd use his stick and kind of passing lanes to break stuff up without taking penalties he was just a a ridiculously effective defensive defenseman and and there have been signs uh even dating back to more than two years ago of kind of some talent erosion and you'd wonder how he'd age and now that he's 33 uh we've kind of seen all of that manifest itself where in the past two years his performance has really just basically fallen off a cliff 
um, in terms of every metric. And I think even more alarmingly is he has dragged down guys like Eric Carlson and Brent Burns when he's played with them. And, and a part of that is usage and sort of how much they rely on him to start in his own zone and play against other teams, best players. But given the money and given the the pedigree, you'd hope that you'd be able to get better results than they have. And, and considering that there's six years left on that deal, uh, you know, with a, with a no move clause, it's, it's, that's a that's a much more sort of difficult pill to swallow for me because at least with Carlson and Burns, they might not be what they used to be, but they can still be wildly effective players if used correctly. With Vlasic, it's difficult for me to sort of reconcile or, or, or envision a scenario where you're going to be able to squeeze value out of him even in the next two or three years as he approaches his mid-30s here because he just ha- he's just show- has a He's kind of looks like he's entered a different stage of his career in terms of being able to keep up with the play and do the stuff that he used to when he was effective. Well, I'll counter with a slightly more positive uh, note. Uh, <laughs> or All right, hit, hit me with it. <laughs> um, right. So I was uh, talking to to a scout uh, about uh, Vlasic uh, during the season, and you know we we kind of landed on the conclusion that Vlasic can still play. Uh, Vlasic, and you know that's always kind of uh, one of those damning like you know. A backhanded compliments that a guy can still play you know well anyone who could put on their skates and you know not fall over i guess you can say you can play but anyway though uh the the, the thought that the that the that the scout and i concluded with Vlasic is that we still think that he is a top four defenseman but top four though he's not he shouldn't be in your top pairing he shouldn't be your top shutdown defenseman necessarily because maybe he can't do that night to night anymore and uh, speaking of uh, Jack Hahn, you know, Jack Hahn and I, we talked about it in, in some stuff that I've written for San Jose Hockey Now. Uh, and he talked about how, you know, Vlasic's reads, his stick play is still excellent. But, you know, he just he can't get back on the pucks like he used to. And, and, and nowadays, too, he's, you know, relying more on, you know, kind of dumping it out. He's not making that, that, that first pass. Maybe he doesn't have the time as much anymore. And mm. to Jack, it looked like uh, Vlasic's, you know, kind of body was, you know, just physically he was breaking down a little bit. So he wouldn't be, he's not able to consistently play top shutdown minutes anymore. But uh, does that mean that Vlasic is unable to be uh, an effective defenseman still? I know that a lot of his numbers are, are quite damning. And so I'm not going to argue that point of it. You know, I've seen those numbers. <laughs> We've all seen them and they're terrible. I know. Um, but you know, can Vlasic still be, uh, you know, effective-ish? Like, you know, maybe, you know, maybe Vlasic isn't a seven million dollar defenseman, but is he like a five million dollar guy who can play some some good minutes still? And you know, if, as long as you kind of preserve them and don't throw them out against, you know, the Connor McDavid's of the world anymore, um, I think that's 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 still possible. At least that's what you know. That's what uh, I, I talked with uh, the scout about. And also in terms of, you know, we talked about Eric Carlson's, you know, good play in 2018-19 and how that you know, is still promising. I, I felt like Vlasic was very good in the playoffs in the first two rounds of that 2018-19. And, you know, the Colorado series, uh, he and Burns did a very good job. It very, you know, it was a very coordinated kind of defensive plan on Nathan McKinnon. Um, you know, it was a team plan. It wasn't just Vlasic and Burns, but it was still, you know, a very good job where, you know, oftentimes you would see a guy like Burns just basically stand in front of McKinnon, not even let him get started. <laughs> and, you know, hmm. Burns, Burns was, and, and Vlasic was sort of the, 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 the safety valve in terms of anything went wrong, but it was effective, and, and they were able to pull it out against Colorado. And, you know, the very dangerous, you know, McKinnon, Ratman, uh, uh, Landis Cog line. And so I think, I think there's still something there in Vlasic, you know? And I guess another thing I would say, too, if you want to stay on the positive tone is, you know, people were killing, you know, Justin Braun in his last year with, with the Sharks. They were absolutely killing him. And again, the numbers showed, yeah, that 
this guy was not worth even signing to a contract, at least based on you know the, the numbers. And with Philadelphia in a lighter role and just something more ideal for him, you know, Justin's bronze numbers look great this past season. And again, so I'm not saying that's exactly where Vlasic is at, but I think in the right situation, uh, Vlasic can still be a good player. Now, after all that positive, though, I got to say one negative. The problem, though, with the Sharks, though, is that they almost have no, I'm not sure if they have any choice but to put Vlasic in the top shutdown role. <laughs> and that's the problem. It's well, just the team's not deep enough. Here's the problem. I completely agree. In a different circumstance, a different scenario, you could squeeze value out of them and get more effective minutes because you're right. The usage and who you're playing against and how you're utilized results a lot in, in terms of affecting the numbers. I think in this case, though, and you hit the nail on the head with that final sentiment there, like, beyond the fact that they're paying him at a $7 million cap it for the next six seasons, which becomes uh, really tough in terms of uh, forcing the issue, I think if you're mapping out the depth chart here, right, I, I think you have to keep Vlasic away from Carlson based on the numbers we saw last year in terms of the how they played together and the drag he had on them. And if you're doing that, they seem to like Burns playing with, with, with Simic. And so in that case, you've got a $7 million defenseman on your third pairing, and he's probably just at that point, You, I don't know how you're going to utilize him in terms of uh, – allocating the minutes and who he's going to be playing with and how he's going to look in that. So I don't think it's as simple as um, it, it all depends on who he's going to play with, but I don't see a very palatable solution here because I, I would hate to see them bring it back with Carlson Vlasic based on how they looked last year together. Yeah. I mean, they could try a, a shimmick with Carlson. They've never tried that. And so, I mean, why not? And, and uh, Burns and Vlasic have played uh, successful minutes together. Like I said, in the, uh, in the 2018, 19 playoffs, so maybe there there is some hope there, um, but I don't know because they never tried Shimmick and Carlson before. They do seem to have a preference, you know. Shim, the Vlasic and Burns only happened in playoffs because Shimmick got hurt, and so we'll we'll see about that. But that does seem to be kind of their uh, preferred top four right now. I guess the one kind of hope is uh, Mario Ferraro played uh, was you know it turned out to be the Sharks' best rookie last year, which was a little unfortunate in the sense that not that it's unfortunate what that when a guy plays young player. Uh, surpasses expectations but the sharks really needed a forward you know a young forward to be mm -hmm. good last year <laughs> instead they got a young yep. defenseman and so farrell's a guy that has some promise so if he can step up and you know maybe he's a guy that can start to you know push vlasic down the lineup or and of course you know if that means vlasic on a third pairing you know that's not ideal but maybe that is the place where you can get even better value because maybe vlasic i don't know but if if my projection is that Vlasic is still a guy who's capable of playing, you know, a second pairing minutes, then putting him in top top uh, bottom pairing, well, he can be a dominant bottom pairing guy. And even though the value is not there in terms of his money, you know, good teams are are great teams are based on you know being able to dominate, having guys who can dominate even you know the bottom pairing fourth line minutes. Well, I, I think what we know is around the league, people are sometimes slow to uh, adjust or recalibrate their beliefs on established players. Mm -hmm. And we often see there's a gap between, especially with like aging veterans, in terms of the opinion of how people value them versus their actual on ice play. And so um, maybe if uh, similar to that scout you were speaking to, if there's if there's a GM around the league that still views Mark Edward Vlasic in that way, maybe they can uh, give them a call. <laughs> but considering the current climate, I doubt it. I remember last year I was actually... Uh, sliding into your DMs and pitching you with trade offers um, because 
you know, there was this talk that the Panthers were, were kind of desperate to improve their defense and make changes. And it felt like Dale Talon was on the precipice of doing something crazy. And, and pre-pandemic, it wouldn't have been as as outrageous or unbelievable to expect a team to take on Vlasic's contract. But obviously, there's a lot of extenuating circumstances there in terms of both his no-move clause. And I'm sure the organizations, um, you know, they, they'd probably, I think, in a perfect world, like to see him end his career as a shark because he has been there their entire time. And there's certainly a lot of emotions in, in, in place there as well. But uh, yeah, I, I do think it was a missed opportunity. I've been, and, and it's not even the a thing of hindsight. Like I feel like I've been saying on this podcast for a couple of years now that uh, they should try and get ahead of this while they still can, because I think the the back end of this deal will not look pretty. Yeah, yeah, and you know, in, in fairness too, you make a good point. You know, the same scout that I talked to, and I think he genuinely does. Uh, believe like myself that Vlasic has some game left, but you know, would he trade for Vlasic? Uh, probably not. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, because he sees the contract, and you know, Vlasic. We're talking about Vlasic right now at 33, and yeah, he he might have a couple good years left in him, like decentish years, right? Maybe not you know Olympic caliber, world class years, but he still might have a couple good years in him. But again, are you going to trade for him? You know, probably not. You know, and so yeah, I I think uh, in terms of getting ahead of it, unfortunately, you know, I think. Uh, I think even the teams, even though they still like the player, they recognize, you know, I think, and we see this with how contracts are doled out in general these days, that teams do seem to recognize that, that giving guys contracts into their, you know, late 30s, early 40s is uh, trouble, right? And I think there's some recognition of that around the league. I'm not sure. <laughs> but, but Well, I think that's that's a good place to sort of end this conversation on because I guess my, my one kind of... Uh, final takeaway or whatever, or, or, or last point is I'm very curious to see how this organi- organization approaches things moving forward, or, you know, beyond just next year, because I think Doug Wilson has certainly built up tons of equity in the organization with the job he's done over the past two decades and keeping San Jose sort of atop the league and constantly competitive. But he is also the second longest tenured in the GM in the league right now. And I think for me, I always get a bit concerned about, um, when a GM sort of either gets long in the tooth or can hear the clock ticking in terms of feeling the desperation to do something, I always worry about the motives of like whether the moves are going to be trying to save a job and trying to uh, speed things up right. prematurely or whether there actually are the long-term best interests in, of the organization in mind with moves. And so now that he's made another coaching change and now that he's kind of committed to this group, I'm really just interested to see how they approach things, whether is there is going to be that added desperation because I think most people would agree that you know, they knocked it out of the park, for example, at the draft this year, where with their first four or five picks, they just took home run cuts on high upside players. And that's great. And that's something that they've needed over the past however many years in terms of this infusion of young talent in the pipeline and the next generation of Sharks players. But I think if you're Logan Couture or if you're um, Eric Carlson or Brent Burns, you don't really care about a player that four or five years from now is going to be able to step into the lineup and contribute. You're probably trying to stay competitive now and trying to, um, you know, uh, you, the contract's one thing, but just sort of that sort of pride of being a, a high level competitive player. You don't want to spend your final most productive seasons on a losing team where you're not competing for a playoff spot. And so it's a, it's a tough situation to sort of navigate in terms of the long-term best interest of organization while also keeping this sort of positive work environment when you have this type of a group, because it's, it's one thing, where we started the show talking about the, the the Red Wings, for example, we'll end it now. If you know you're going to be a bad team and you're just filled with young players, you can kind of chalk that up to 
this is going to be growing pains. It's part of the developmental curve. But when you're an aging team and you just don't have, you're stuck in that purgatory and you kind of don't have a lot of hope, that can be a really difficult situation to manage. And so how they approach that and sort of whether they try to walk a fine line between the two agendas or whether they go all in on, on one direction, that's something I'm going to be watching for. Yeah, no, I think you put you put it well too. You know, even though I criticized uh, what Doug Wilson has done this off season, you know, I think if he's looking at the long-term future of the team, I, you know, I think he has done well for it. He didn't trade the first-round pick uh, uh, this year, which some people thought he would because, again, you know, if you're trying to capture either the last prime seasons or good seasons that a guy like Brent Burns or Eric Carlson or Logan Couture might have, then it might have made some sense to trade that pick away. He did not. Uh, you know, you might expect uh, uh, if you're trying to capture the last of the prime of these guys, you know, to, that he would be more active on our free agency market. And he was not. And so it does kind of speak to right now, at least that it, if you're talking about, did Doug Wilson do the best for the long-term future of the team this past off season? It looks like he did, but you know, uh, next season, if he kind of gets middling results, like Eric Carlson is better, but he's not, you know, back to Eric, uh, Eric Carlson from Ottawa. And, you know, the team is kind of, you know, not much better overall, you know, uh, does that kind of change what he does? Does he start to kind of hear the the footsteps, you know, for his job? And, you know, does he become desperate, uh, a little bit desperate? Or does he kind of hang with kind of the, the philosophy that he's approached this offseason? It is going to be really interesting to watch. Um, oh, one final thing I wanted to, to, to pitch you on. Um, have you done any reporting or asking around on a, the Kevin LeBanc situation in terms of the one-year deal he signed last summer and then the deal he got this year. Was there was there any sort of a kind of wink-wink under the table shenanigans there or was it all uh, above board? Well, I, I, I can't get any confirmation from anybody from the Sharks and, you know, I don't think they're ever going to answer that, that question. Uh, but Well, legal, legally, I would hope they would. Yeah, but I, I can tell you that I, I have talked to people from other organizations and they're sure that's what happened because that deal last year was so, you know, one million... Uh, for one year off of a 56-point season, you know, unprecedented, really. I wrote about that. It was like a record-setting contract for just how low it was, you know, uh, for a guy that produced, you know, like like he did. And so, you know, people are still convinced that that there was something in, in, in place there. And so that's why, you know, Doug Wilson honored kind of his word and gave uh, LeBanc a pretty rich contract this uh, past offseason for, you know, not so good a, a year. But I think one of the funny things about that, too, is, though, that even though LeBanc did take that one-year, $1 million deal, presumably to, you know, help the Sharks and, and whatnot, that they didn't really sign anybody with, with that money. So, <laughs> anyway, that, that, that's a side, but, uh, but I, I, I just find that funny about all, all, all that situation. So, anyway, I, I, to, 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 to uh, summarize, I think the belief is still super strong that that is exactly what happened, but uh, there's no confirmation on it, though. Yeah, it definitely seems like it, and good for him. I'm glad he he wound up getting that near twenty million or whatever he got this summer because uh, his performance certainly dipped, and it would have been kind of a cautionary tale in terms of uh, doing teams a favor because uh, you kind of kind of have to take advantage of the leverage while you have it in this league because it can be fleeting. Um, Shang, plug some stuff. Where can people find you? Check out your work. Uh, follow you on Twitter. All that stuff. Yeah, uh, just uh, find all my work at uh, San Jose Hockey now. And uh, you can uh, find me on Twitter at Shang uh, underscore Peng. Awesome. Well, that's easy enough. Uh, this was a blast, man. I'm glad we got to do this. It was uh, it was quite the show. Hopefully it wasn't too depressing for Sharks fans. And uh, we'll have to have you back on sometime down the road to see uh, 
if we get answers to those questions of how Doug Wilson will approach this moving forward. Yeah, awesome. Anytime, man. All right, that's going to be it for today's episode of the Hockey PDO Cast. Um, hopefully, you enjoy the deep dive that I just did with Shang Peng. If you are a Sharks fan and you're really depressed after listening to it, uh, fear not because the next rewatchable we're going to do is going to be one with a special guest. And we're going to be deep diving um, game seven of the infamous 2019 first round matchup between the Sharks and the Golden Knights. So you have that to look forward to, and it'll have a much more positive ending for you than, than this show had. Um, we will also be re-watching at some point here down the road. And we have a plan to do um, Minnesota Wild versus Colorado Avalanche, first round, Game 7, 2014. Uh, a lot of Patrick Waugh stuff to discuss, so that's going to be fun. And we're also going to keep the rebuildable shows coming with uh, the New Jersey Devils up next. So we've got that planned, and it's going to be a fun couple of weeks here. Um, and if you have been enjoying these shows during the offseason, please consider uh, going and leaving us a quick rating and review it's really easy to do and honestly if you're just going to leave the five stars which we appreciate greatly um, it takes a minute if you want to leave us a quick little blurb that either explains why you enjoy the show or why you recommend people listen to it um, that's also obviously going above and beyond and, and i love when people do that dylan fremlin left the most recent one on there on itunes and it's uh includes a, a nice little reference to mark fraser's 2012-13 pdo that they gave me a good chuckle so i always love to see those um so yeah thanks to those of you that have done so already if you haven't and you've been holding out hopefully that'll convince you to do so and we will be back next week with some new pdo cast so until then here is the outro music Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDOcast.